You're listening to You're United listening Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. Barbecue Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out commandojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. I'm Dan and I'm here with my co-host Ben. Hello. And on today's show, we have Tony from Historic Barbecue. Hi Tony, you alright? Yep, I'm doing great. Good. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. We are... Uh, we haven't had loads of guests from the US on yet, but we are hopefully getting more and more in the future. And your your team and your products are one that I've been following for quite some time now. So it's an honor to have you on the show. Oh, thanks very much. I'm uh, happy to be on here and uh, excited to uh, talk about barbecue. Awesome. And we've got Dan on as well this week, all the way from Kuala Lumpur, connected into the call <laughs> as well. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good to be back. <laughs> Um, cool. So, Tony, can you just start off by just giving us a quick intro about who you are and what you're about? Absolutely. Um, so, Historic Barbecue, uh, mainly a, a competition barbecue team. Um, we also have uh, rubs and sauces. Um, started barbecue um, probably about five years ago. Um, just started out, you know, like everyone else, cooking in our backyards, uh, with some uh, Weber Smoky Mountains and uh Ended up doing a few small catering type things for some uh, local school events and fundraiser type things. And people kept, you know, ev- everyone always has people telling them how good their barbecue is and all that stuff. But we we eventually uh, did a local festival. Um, it's called Third Friday where they, they shut down like one city block and have a couple food vendors, a band. Um, we cooked uh, about 200 pounds of meat on two uh, Weber Smoky Mountains. I'm still not sure. How we wow. exactly pulled pulled that off? Yeah. <laughs> there, there was lots of a uh, stacking, rearranging, and and a couple uh, separate cooks involved there, but we made it happen. <laughs> um, we went into it trying to figure out what we were going to do with all the leftovers, and uh, about I don't know, 30 minutes into into the event, we had a line 30 people deep, and it didn't stop until we were sold out. So um, things quickly took off from there. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it's a good feeling because I've been to events where. I thought I thought the same, and I thought, oh god, what am I going to do with the leftovers? We have to try and take them home, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you've got a queue thirty people deep, and you're you're manic for two, three hours straight, and then hit the sellout, and that's such a great feeling. Get such yeah. a good buzz from it. Yeah, whenever you do a vending event, it's kind of a bittersweet when you sell out because you definitely don't want to take it home because you know it's not like frozen hamburgers that you can just use next weekend yeah exactly. Um, yeah. so you don't want to take it home but it, it, i hate running out when there's still a line um and people don't quite understand uh you know that people always ask oh why don't you just throw some more on you know it's uh, that's not the way this works you know, <laughs> give me 16 quite... hours yeah. we'll, <laughs> we'll carry on exactly um but yeah so things just kind of uh took off from there uh, got pretty heavy into the, the competition world um and then uh 
kind of the mix of those two things is where the, the products were born. And uh, so now I'm, I'm doing the, the competition thing and uh, slowing down a little bit on that this year, trying to, to focus on getting those this products out there. But um, just did a competition this, this past weekend and uh, had just as much fun as always. So that, that was uh, pretty exciting. Awesome. So you're saying the kind of the catering side of things took off first and then you got into the competition scene afterwards or is it? The yep. Way yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, they were, they were pretty close together. Um, that was, um, uh, the third Friday that event was in August and I think the next, um, April or May was our first competition. Um, and I definitely have done more competitions than, uh, than vending since then. Um, those are both a lot of work, but they're different types of work. Um, it takes a lot of people and a lot of manpower to, to pull off a lot of those uh, big uh, vending or catering events. Um, yeah, still like still like doing them, but uh, the the competitions a, a lot more focused type of uh, work where you know you got a lot of work to do, but it, um, you know you can do it with one or two people. Yeah, and you know exactly what you're doing, don't you? You know exactly you've got to turn your brisket in in this size box with this many slices, so. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you don't. You're not hoping that you know at a vending event. You're wondering if if it rains, what am I going to do? How many people are going to show up? And a lot of guesswork and involved in all that. Definitely. Um, You you guys, your your comp trailer is kind of what got me hooked on you guys originally at the beginning. I I was like, that's what we talked about for about two weeks straight. I just kept I just kept coming back to Dan. I was like how can I get one of these? Like these don't even exist in the UK. I don't think but <laughs> describe yeah, so your the, trailer to us. Well, the, the, the trailer actually uh, recently found a new home, but it, it's still a barbecue trailer. Um, so the Q hauler is, uh, what it was, uh, referred to. It was a, uh, 42 foot, um, custom built toy hauler. Um, so if you, a toy hauler is basically, uh, the front, two thirds of it. Um, it's sort of like an RV. It's got beds and a little kitchen and a bathroom air conditioning. And then the back part of a toy hauler is normally where you put like cars or motorcycles or ATVs. Um, but instead uh, the, the back of this one is completely custom built for competition barbecue. It's got cabinets, uh, windows on the side, cookers mounted inside, uh, vented to the outside. Um, so you just pull up and you have everything you need, uh, ready to cook. Yeah, it did look. It looked so awesome when I first saw it. I was showing Dan it. I was like, "Look at this!" Actually, I think it was on your Facebook page for sale, and I was like, "How can I get this to the UK?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we we finally found someone, another barbecue team that that ended up buying it. So, but it, it went to a good home. I, the first um, outing after uh, they they picked it up, they went and got a GC. So um, we left a little uh, good mojo in, inside there. Uh, for <laughs> yeah, I definitely awesome. should have bought it. <laughs> yeah. You need all the good mojo you can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always say to to win a competition, you you can't just cook good barbecue. You have to cook good uh, cook good barbecue, and uh, get lucky, hit the right tables, and uh, get some judges that uh, like what you're turning in that day. Definitely. <laughs> and you guys do all KCBS comps, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. That's uh, in our region. That's pretty much the only. Um, contest we have so it's uh, um i've done one mbn event uh mbn invitational um i think that was three years ago um and that was pretty fun but it's it's definitely different world um than the kcbs stuff we we um started a kcbs competition ourselves me and dan last year so we we had one in the uk because there, there wasn't any in the uk before that um and 
they've kind of they, they dabbled in it but nothing was kind of set in stone but we've kind of set an official one now so we always know we've got this our annual kcbs event um but this year there's there's a lot more picking up so there's now three scheduled in for i say this year for 2018 so for next year awesome yeah i know kcbs is uh, doing a lot of stuff to try to grow that international competitions yeah i mean europe pretty much the calendar in europe is pretty much full we're getting to the point where now in europe we can see this becoming two maybe three competitions per weekend across europe so it's really, really growing massively, massively over here, which is which is awesome to see. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So you need to get over here and compete in our festival now. <laughs> yeah, that, that would, I would. Uh, I definitely need to put that on the the bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you guys get the same similar cuts of meats that we get over here with the the briskets cut the same way and pork butts cut the same way, or is it a little different? It is. A little. I mean, traditionally, our cuts are different, but uh, a lot of our butchers, we all tend to, I mean, there are uh, quite a few butchers doing it now, doing all the different cuts, and, and there are specific butchers around the UK which specialise in in these cuts and, and these types of meats. But, I mean, things like, for instance, our, our British uh, briskets and stuff, the marbling isn't, isn't uh, quite up to standard, so we tend to use a lot of uh, either... So we tend to use a lot of U.S. or Australian imported uh, briskets and, and bits like that. But our pork over here is absolutely fantastic, like yeah. spot on. So pork pork side, we're doing really well. I mean, briskets, you can cook them really well. You've just got to be even more careful because the marbling yeah. is just not there. You've got to be really careful and watch and watch the dryness because it's just not as forgiving as, as you tend to right. see like the U.S. style sort of briskets and the Australian briskets you import. Yeah, that window of perfection is a lot smaller. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but we've got we've got fantastic uh, selection of pork going on, so our ribs can be pretty awesome, and, and the pork butts are, are looking great. And then uh, also bringing it to the table. I mean, outside of KCBS, but stuff like our lamb uh, and other bits of meat like that, just absolutely fantastic over here. So we we win some, we lose some, so it's all good. But uh, but yeah, it's it's we're doing pretty well. Awesome. We do our competition. We do it as a two-day event, and we have like five ancillary rounds on the Saturday of our competition, where we can just go completely away from the kind of KCBS side of things, but then do the purest KCBS on the Sunday. Oh, that that's pretty cool. Yeah, KCBS is definitely a, um, at least over here, a very specific. It's almost its own style of barbecue. You, no matter where you go in the U.S., you're basically going to cook the same recipes. Um, you know, if you go too far outside the box and try a bold flavor or something outside the the norm, um, it better be <laughs> excellent or it's not going to score well. And you know, the downside of that is everyone's turning in stuff that all tastes uh, pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you edit? Do you change anything at all? Like, for instance, do you go to a different region? You're going to compete in a different region, so you're going to make things maybe a little bit spicier in this in this region, or Maybe in this region, you're going to make it a little bit smokier or uh, a little bit sweeter, depending on where you are. Or do you tend to just keep it, this is our recipe and this is what we're going to hand in throughout the whole uh, season? I, I tend to keep it the same. And most of the teams that do you know, a lot of traveling, um, they, they keep it the same. Um, there are a few regions like uh, the kind of extreme northeast of the U.S. where people say you know you have to have add maple syrup to your sauce to score well. Um, 
but other than a few very specific examples, um, pretty much all the teams that are you know traveling around a lot or or chasing points uh, for team of the year, um, they're you know they have everything so dialed in. Um, those top teams that, that you know they're able to reproduce the exact same food every single time, and that, and that's how they're able to to stay on top. So can you tell us a little bit about the equipment and stuff that you use in the competition? Like you know, you said these teams keep it dialed in. You must have like equipment that you know inside out by now. Yeah, absolutely. I cook on a uh, gravity cooker, um, a Myron Mixon uh, G33. So. Um, I was previously cooking on uh, two cookers. They're both of them gravity feds. Uh, one the G33 and one the G9. It's just smaller version of the same cooker. Um, but I've recently kind of tweaked the timeline to be able to do everything at the same temperature, so that um, that way I can just focus on managing one cooker and your your focus is all dialed in on one thing and try instead of trying to manage two things. Um, but I run that cooker um, now at 300 uh, the entire cook. I uh, use the barbecue guru to just – I light it before I go to sleep. Um, it's set at like 225, so that I, and then I use the hold timer on there. So at uh, about 3.30 a.m., it kicks up to 300 degrees. I wake up at 4, put the big meats on, and um, get a little bit asleep another hour or two um, before I have to start working on uh, chicken and ribs. Um, but I'm, I'm very meticulous about the whole process. Um, all the rub combinations I use, um, uh, you know, it's, a the rubs I use are a blend of historic barbecue rubs and then other commercial competition rubs. And I, I actually weigh those out so that I know that it's a hundred grams of this and 25 grams of that and 25 grams of this. Um, and they got to be way- put on in the same order and shook the same way and everything. Yeah, that way, because if you just, you know, if I say I'm going to put a layer of historic red and then a layer of some other rub at two different competitions, you might be a little bit heavier on one than the other, and one might yeah. score better than the other, and you can't really, it's hard to quantify that. But if you put that on a scale and weigh it out, then you know exactly the, the ratio that you used, and if it worked or didn't work, you can either keep doing the same thing or make adjustments. Um, but just little things like that to try to keep it consistent. Uh, you know, every cut of meat's different, and weather conditions are different. So there's there's certain things you can't control, but the more variables that you can control every single time, the more likely you are to output the same product. How how often are you competing now? Um, so last year I did 20 competitions, and that does not include like vending events or um, event, uh, other types of events. The year before I did 26. Um, this year I've, I've dialed that way back. Um, I've only done three so far this year. I think I've got at least two more scheduled. Um, I've been doing more like product demos and things like that this year. Um, and then I, next year I'm kind of planning to go kind of in between that. I'll probably do 10 or 12 next year and still do, um, the product demos in between. You must be over there with the, like the amount of competitions that are going on. You can kind of, you could do one almost every weekend, couldn't you? Yeah, it depends really on what area of the country you're in. Um, in my area, you can pretty much go from um, – it depends on how far you want to travel. If you want to stay within five or six hours, um, April through November, you can you can pretty much get one almost every weekend. Um, if you're down south, like I know some Florida teams where they basically have a choice of two or three competitions virtually every weekend um, – and they just they kind of do the opposite of us. So when it starts to get too hot down there, they just go a little bit north. Uh, for us, when it starts to get cold, we move a little bit south. Yeah. 
but yeah, but you can you can definitely get a lot of competitions in. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Flicking through some websites here, and uh, <laughs> I heard your voice. So uh, I was just saying I saw on Twitter that you uh, also got on the other side of the table and some judging recently. Yep. Yeah, that was uh, the first time um, I've done judging. That was actually a pretty uh, educational experience. I've, I've actually been a, a certified judge since before I even competed. Um, I took the class uh, right before my first competition just to you know, better understand the rules and things. Um, the class itself is more focused on, on the rules and not the food. Um, you do get to sample food in the class, but it's um, you know it's a competition cook making the food, but they're making it for 30 or 40 judges. They're not making six pieces of chicken, so they're not exactly the same quality that you'd get from a comp- t- competition cook. Uh, but it was it was definitely interesting. It wasn't, uh, you know, mind-blowing, uh, but it was definitely interesting to see the, the opposite perspective. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of cooks complained, like, oh, I got, how did I get a triple nine from this judge? And the judge next to it got a 978 or a 977. Um, kind of one of the things that surprised me the most is how much true variance there was between you know, different pieces of meat, um, ribs and chicken, especially, um, like my favorite piece of chicken, um, perfect skin and an awesome flavor. The judge right next to me, you could have taken that piece of skin and tied it to two bumpers of a car and driven in opposite directions and it wouldn't have <laughs> pulled apart. Um, so, you know, I get, exactly, exactly yeah. out of the same box. So, so I gave him a high score and the judge next to him probably gave him two points less on tenderness and, and maybe at least a point less on taste. Um, so, you know, that kind of gave a, a little bit of perspective on that. When you see that odd score, you know, it, it might not be because that guy was just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> being tough on you. They might've actually gotten something that, you know, wasn't as good as the other judges. Yeah. And I mean, like by the time you slice up a whole brisket and put like all your slices together and select your slices and stuff. And like each slice can be, could be from two different sort of ends or, or three or four slices, five slices apart from each other. And you don't know maybe the slight differences that are from the cook that have occurred and, and how much maybe that, that has affected the doneness and stuff. So things can really vary in a box. And I think that you don't think they, they can, but they really can. Like I, I, I've had the complete, exactly the same thing where I've been sat next, I've had a judge either side of me and I've bitten in and had a, a mouthful of skin and they've both got bite through and, and all vice versa. And like things, things can, can sort of be really different in a box and, and that can sort of uh, really affect your score, which, which I think is, is like you just said, then the, the reason behind these, these uh, variable scores that you see on a scorecard that people ask a lot of questions about and get a little bit angry about, but but things can happen, and, and, and that's what you need to realize. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I noticed is um, as far as when the boxes were turned in versus when the judges got them, um, chicken virtually immediately went from the turn-in table to the judges' table. They just, as soon as they came in and they got uh, five or six boxes, they went straight to the judging table. Whereas the day goes on, for especially once you get to pork and then brisket, um, they sit there a lot longer. So... Um, on brisket, if you turned in, you know, right when that window opened five minutes before and the last team doesn't turn in until, you know, the very last second, five minutes after, uh, there's a good chance that, that your box was sitting there for that full 10 minutes while they were, you yeah. know, they, have, they have to shuffle those around to make sure that you don't hit the same table twice. Um, so you really have to consider that. Um, 
I always try to turn my brisket in right at the end because of that. I'd I'd rather have it sitting, uh, you know, on my table in in Aju or you know doing whatever I can to keep it warm, um, and then take it up there right when I know it's gonna sit there the shortest period of time to dry out. Uh, but you know, if you turn that in right at the beginning and it sits there for ten minutes, the product the judge is eating is gonna be a little different than what you thought you put in the box. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's also like because I guess people. Maybe people that are doing it all the time. I'm I'm not doing it all the time, or slash never. Um, but but for people who who are just starting out thinking about it, all you're really concentrating on is your recipes and your cooking times and getting all of that side of things right. And it's perhaps not something that you would have immediately considered is like actually the tactic when it comes to turning time. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely like the little details um someone once told me to, to win a contest you have to do 100 things right and the guy next the guy in second place is going to do 97 or 98 so you there's just you have to get every single step right to give yourself the best chance to get the the highest score um and certainly cooking it right and, and the flavors are by far the most important part uh, but once you have that and you've done all you can you you know the next steps are the little things like like that like when you turn it in and and um you know appearance uh, was another thing I kind of found interesting on judging. I spend a lot of time on the boxing part um, or a lot of effort. I don't know if I'd say time, but trying to make that, you know, perfect. Every single chicken leg has the foot facing the same direction or curved the same way. Every piece of brisket aligned in there exactly. Uh, and my, that reflects in the appearance scores. It's pretty rare that I get even an eight in appearance, but from the judging side, they're looking at that box for maybe five or 10 seconds um, so I'm sitting there spending three or four minutes trying to get every piece of greenery in the exact right place when, you know, they're only going to look at that for a very short period of time. Um, so I don't think I'll necessarily change the way that I build boxes, but at the same time, I definitely would, if I need a minute or two to make the taste or tenderness more perfect, I will easily give, give up that minute or two on, on boxing um, just because they're the judge is going to spend more time on taste and tenderness. So uh, as a cook, you should spend more time on those, on those things. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So would you recommend to people that are getting into KCBS to maybe go on the judges class first or, and give judging a go before competing? Or do you not think that's really necessary? No, I, I think that's a good idea. I don't think you, I wouldn't wait to cook if you can't, a lot of uh, contests will only take so many first time judges. So it's, um, you know, sometimes hard to, to get into judging. Um, so I wouldn't, if you've got a contest that you want to do, I wouldn't say wait until you judge to do it. But if you have an opportunity to judge, I think it's definitely a, a good thing to do and, and try just, and you get to taste a lot of different people's food too. So you just kind of, it gives you a point of reference on, you know, what other people are turning in and, and things like that and what different kinds of boxes look like. You, you just a minute ago when you said about you were boxing up your chicken, you said, get the chicken legs around the right way so yep. yeah, i think yeah. i've seen this before on one of your posts that you everyone over here just uses thighs pretty much all the time but you don't do you nope i i cook uh, legs or drums um uh the actual butcher term is drums i always call them legs um they've just scored better for for me historically um did thighs uh for a little while and just couldn't get them right i, I think at one point there was Originally, that was kind of a cooker problem. It was too, there was a humidity issue making it so we couldn't render those skins out. But because of that, developed a process for legs that I'm able to turn out the exact same product every time. Um, 
you know, a lot of people worry about legs. They get, if you cook them too much, you'll get blowouts where the tendon kind of shoots through the skin. And I've just figured out a process where that is virtually not ever going to happen. I think I had um, one out of uh, 16 pieces this weekend that had had a blowout, and it was small enough that if I had to, I would have been able to turn it in. But uh, they've they've uh, scored pretty well uh, for me historically, so that's um, the process that I use. There are some other teams. Uh, definitely used to be um, pretty likely that I was the only person turning in legs at a competition. Um, now it's not uncommon for a table to see one or two boxes of legs out of six um, for judging. Would people ever turn in a mixture, or is that not something you do? You could. It would be hard to fit that many pieces in the box. Um, there was actually someone talking about that this weekend that they had really small thighs and really small legs, and they were gonna they were considering uh, putting six of each in there. Um, you could do like three and three or four and four. Uh, you risk uh, upsetting. You know, if, if you have six judges that really like legs and the first four take them, yeah. and the last two only get thighs, they might be a little upset, um, which shouldn't affect their scoring, but. You know, judges are human, so um, mm-hmm. if, you, if you start off on the wrong foot, it's going to be a lot easier for them to, you know, round down than round up. Where, yeah. where, where did you stand? Uh, not where do you stand, but you, like when you were kind of the only guy doing them, do you feel like were you being like recognized by judges in that way then, that they knew this was your box because you're the only one doing legs? Um, I would definitely say a, at when I first started doing them, there were certain judges that would uh, be able to pick out our legs just because they, you know, they're, it's pretty distinct the way that, um, like I said, we box them with a foot up every single time, which is um, something I think a lot of teams don't um, take the time to do. And uh, they have, they always have a a really nice color. So it it certainly uh, wouldn't surprise me if there were judges that were able to, to recognize them um, back when we first started doing them. But I think now there's enough, um, teams doing them that it would be a little bit harder to to pick out which box was ours. Yeah. Cool. And you you said you put your your temp these days. You're up to three hundred. So, yeah. Are, are you still classing what you're doing as a low and slow, or are you now saying you're more hot and fast? I, I would say that's that's uh that's in the hot and fast realm. Um, some of these guys are doing all, things all the way up to like four twenty five. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I saw uh, someone on Facebook posted the, uh, yesterday where the, it was, this was a jambo cook and they said that they were the first one lighting their pit because they were at a contest where everyone was cooking on drums and those guys are doing, you know, 400 or you know, 350, 400, 425 and just, uh, you know, knocking that stuff out quick. Um, it's interesting to see like how things are going and people going faster and faster and harder and harder when traditionally everyone's been just hours and hours, two, two, five, low and slow and, and, it's really cool seeing now, like you said, at competitions, you've got the, the variety where people are going super low and slow, still 225, uh, even lower sometimes. And then you've got the people heading in at 325, 350, 375, 400 on all different stuff. And, and one of the one of the most successful teams in the UK, uh, well, he they were second uh, team of the year last year. They've come over to the US and done really well in competitions. They, they run hot and fast and when you chat to Ed or Emma, they just talk about it as making their life nice and easy. As, as much as they can make their life easy, they'll, they'll try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the more simplified uh, and streamlined you can make your process, the less likely you are to miss a step or, or screw something up. Um, 
I'm just uh, skimming the uh, KCBS standings right now, and I think probably 80% or more of those uh, top 10 teams are hot and fast cooks. Yeah, uh, so I think it's really interesting. Really, really interesting. Seeing yeah. something that's taken so much time to... Obviously, a barbecue can be traced back for, for, for hundreds of years, but, I mean, like, even competition where something's been uh, done in a certain way for so long, to see it sort of... Uh, being flipped on its head a little bit and people really changing it up. It's really cool to see. So it shows that it's not stagnant. It's not stagnant sport. It's not stagnant uh, uh, competition that people are changing things up and doing well, which is cool to see. Yeah, I think it's uh, one of the favorite thing. My favorite things about barbecue is there are no rules. Um, I mean, obviously you have to turn in brisket for the brisket category, but there's a hundred different ways to get to that end product and none of them are necessarily wrong. Um, there's a lot of good cooks in this area that are still low and slow, and there's a lot of people that have migrated to hot and fast. And um, I've cooked both side by side, and it's pretty hard to tell the difference um, between the two products. So it's more about which you're most comfortable with, and uh, you know which one you can get your process dialed in for. And the, the reason that I switched to hot and fast was just so I could switch to one cooker. Um, I had always been cooking chicken at 300 degrees, and like I said, I had that processed to get those skins and everything perfect virtually every time. Um, so it was easier to just kind of tweak the, the other recipes, to, um, which is just a timeline adjustment more than anything to work at 300 than it would be to, you know, risk, you know, taking my chicken a step back and yeah. try to cook that as slower. And with, when it comes to like brisket, are you using the like top end, you wagyu's and stuff like that? Yep. Um, I'm normally cooking an Imperial signature wagyu, um, which is, um, just a, a Wagyu brand that I'm able to get here um, locally in Ohio from uh, brisket sponsor, Mr. Brisket. Um, there are a lot of teams. Uh, most teams probably cook Snake River Farms, uh, the black or gold Wagyus. Um, there are some um, people, especially down south in the Florida area, they're able to locally get um, some of those Australian A9 Wagyus. Um, that's probably similar to the stuff that you were talking about before. Um but I, I've had good luck with the, the Imperials, and so that that's what I'm cooking. Um, I separate the point in the flat, and I actually don't even take the point to the competition with me. I only turn in slices. I don't do burn-ins. <laughs> wow, cool. <laughs> the uh, My theory on that is that um, we were trying to tweak some brisket recipes uh, about – two years ago and we after the competition we were we would cook a separate point just to try something new and when judges would come around we'd say oh what do you think about this one and you'd get three judges that would say oh my gosh that was perfect it melted in my mouth and you'd have three judges that would say all oh, that fell apart i want my burn-ins to have some chew to it so the next time you make them the other way and make them so they got a you know a little bit more uh you know meatiness yeah, or, or toughness and you'd have the opposite again. <laughs> exactly you'd have some those you'd have the same three judges be like man those were perfect and then the next three would be like oh that was good but it didn't you know just melt in my mouth so what are the odds of me picking the right one and six of those people sitting at the same table um pretty low so instead of trying to guess and hope that you hit that table i just don't cook them <laughs> <laughs> makes sense <laughs> yeah, yeah and people always yeah. people always wonder oh if you, you know you're gonna get penalized for not having burn ends in your box my brisket scores went up i've gotten first place brisket multiple times since then i got a 180 in brisket since then um so i i, I have the data that says otherwise that they're not um you know i'm sure there's a judge that you'll come across that might give you an eight in appearance for not having a burn in in there um but i think on the whole it, the box scores better for me when i don't put burn-ins in there 
Sure, and again, another less thing to worry about. Just, I mean, like, because again, like, you got to cook it in a different way and and carry on cooking it and and change things up a little bit. So it's just another thing to simplify. One less thing to worry about. It makes life easier again. So I suppose that in a busy competition, when you're trying to smash all the other meats, it's it's one less easier thing to do. Exactly. It's just yeah, like you said, one less thing to think about. I try to cook as little as I need to to get the. You know, you know, results. I cook yeah. one brisket. I cook two butts, uh, three racks of ribs, and sixteen pieces of chicken. Um, I don't think you could get much less than that um, without. Yeah, no. You know, getting getting really uh, bold. You know, I guess theoretically <laughs> you could do eight pieces of chicken and one or two racks of ribs, but you're pretty confident in yourself at that point. <laughs> <laughs> you're not leaving any any room for any yeah, mistakes, then. Are you? Yeah, that's. <laughs> That, that would be that would be pretty bold. There is a competition uh, early in the year called the Ironman where they they provide the meat and they give you, um, I think, seven pieces of chicken, one rack of ribs, one butt, and one brisket. And you're not allowed to use any electricity other than lighting in a thermopan. Yeah, we we talked that. about that, didn't we, Dan? We were thinking yeah. we might do something like that at Q Fest at our festival, but we bailed in the end. <laughs> yeah, they, you're technically not allowed to add those rules for a KCS kcbs event but the way they do it is if you agree to the iron man rules the entry fee is you know the standard 200 or 250 dollars and the you get the a bigger prize pool and then if you don't want to do the iron man then the entry fee is like 700 dollars, and yeah. you know the the gc pays out 500 you know they make it so that they work around the the requirement from kcbs so if you wanted to show up there and cook uh, a bunch of meat you can but you're not gonna win any money and everyone's gonna wonder why you're there cooking all this meat when everyone else is you know sticking to the iron man concept yeah the other negative is you're not gonna have any leftover for yourself to eat either are you yeah ex- exactly <laughs> um, yeah and all, all the people coming along they all want your leftovers from your two spare briskets and your two spare pork butts and it's a great chance for them to give it a try and, and see what barbecue's about. So there are negatives, but I do also really like the concept and I do like putting everyone on a level pegging sort of playing field and stuff. Because if you're a team with, with a great meat sponsor, for instance, there's no problem with you turning up with, I don't know, like three, four pork butts or like two, three briskets. And right. and obviously that makes life easier because obviously if you if you mess up, every single piece of meat slightly different. So you can cook two briskets exactly the same temp, uh, exactly the same time. And then actually the, the results might, might be slightly different. So it gives you that, that sort of competitive edge. So I think that it's quite nice that uh, it puts everyone on a level, a level playing field and, and lets them go from there. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely uh, is an interesting concept and uh, something I'm, I'm going to look into uh, doing. They also have, uh, they call them guinea pig uh, competitions. Uh, they've recently started where um, they give you more meat than that, but it's... Uh, your entry fee includes your meat. So you show up and you get a cooler that's got a brisket and two butts in it and four racks of ribs and you know 16 or 20 pieces of chicken so that everyone is cooking the same exact meat. Um, and they do like a random drawing as to who, who gets which cooler. Um, and they try to even those out so that you know you don't get a cooler that's got you know two tiny butts and a, a crappy brisket. They try to spread all the meat around and, and randomly distribute yeah. it. So um, that's also a kind of an interesting concept. I like that. Sounds cool as well. Mm. Um, just we're, we're getting close. We're already over kind of where we should be stopping, but <laughs> just enjoying chatting to you too much. And we haven't even really mentioned like your rubs and sauces and stuff that are available. And um, we've we've got over in the UK. We have barbecue gourmet. 
and they sell your rubs and i i bought them back last year another kcbs event i um my wife went gluten-free recently so i was just like which rubs are gluten-free and which rubs are msg free and yours were top marks on that shelf so took them straight home and the like black is like my now my my favorite beef rub by far out of any rubs i've had i just think it is just quite simple and effective if you know what i mean yeah so we've uh, got two rubs uh red and black uh the reds for pork poultry uh fish uh, so that one's a sweeter uh more kind of traditional barbecue rub um it's, uh, you know, good on almost anything. A lot of people use it, put on their eggs in the morning or, you know, awesome on, like I said, it's, it's designed, that's what I use on pork and chicken at a competition. Um, but it's, it's pretty versatile. Um, and the, the beef, the black rub is awesome on anything beef, burger, steaks, brisket. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big beef guy. So that, that's my go-to. Anytime a recipe says use pepper, I just use black instead because the number one ingredient is, is pepper. Plus it's got chilies and some onion powder, garlic powder, that kind of stuff in there just to give it that little extra pop. And like you said, both of those are MSG and gluten-free. Um, and they're both of them have a lot less salt content than a lot of competition rubs. Um, you know, with competition barbecue, you're trying to get that, you know, big punch for the judge, um, which oftentimes results in a, a rub that's got a lot of salt in it. Um, which is fine for a competition, but you know a lot of backyard cooks don't really want to you know cover their their meat in a bunch of salt. So that's you know, kind of a something that's different than than most rubs. Um, and then on the sauce side, uh, currently have three sauces: original, spicy, and sweet zing. Uh, the spicy one's spicy, not hot, so it's not gonna you know light you up and, and ruin the entire entire bite. It's just got a little little kick there. Um, and the sweet zing is my personal favorite. It's kind of a sweet, fruity flavor up front, and then uh, just got a little little kick at the end. Um, and I think you guys are just now getting that one over there. I, I just shipped a bunch of that over to uh, Barbecue Gourmet a couple weeks ago. So Awesome. I have to try that now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I've also got a, a sweet vinegar dressing uh, that's uh, designed as a coleslaw dressing. You just take a bag of coleslaw, the shredded cabbage, a cup of that and a, and a sweet onion. It makes a awesome vinegar-based coleslaw, so you don't no mayo or dairy in there. Um, but it's also good at, as a salad dressing. Or I've got people that marinate chicken in it. Or um, one way I like to use it is you put it like on a broccoli or broccolini and then grill it. Um, so it's pretty pretty versatile in that way too. But it's just uh, all those products are just kind of things that. You know, I was making manually by hand, but when we were doing the vending and for competitions, and um, it got to the point where it didn't make sense for me to do that anymore. I, um, so those are commercially made that from that same recipe, and um, now I get to share it with the whole world. Awesome. Yeah, no, that must be something special to see people from all over the world using your rubs or hearing like us guys in the UK are, are getting your rubs and sauces and, and really enjoying them as well. Yeah, that that's that's really really cool like whenever i ship anything out um they just picked it up there's a, a new barbecue store opening in uh, australia the q club um they picked it up um you know i'm shipping out to hawaii or california um it's just cool to see that you know me a little guy here in ohio is able to <laughs> make something that people everywhere like and you know that's that's why i do this i just i love cooking barbecue and i, I love helping people um i'm sure you get like you guys have seen the facebook page most 
competition teams are very secretive. You know, once it's turning times, they're closing the trailers, shutting the doors. Yeah. Uh, you know, trying to. And I understand why they're they're there to win, and they're they don't want people to know their their little secrets. Um, and while there's not one thing that's going to make you win a competition, like I said, there's lots of little things, and people want to try to keep their little little tips to their themselves. Um, I'm kind of the opposite. I stream turn-ins live on Facebook, post box pictures. Um, people send me messages. You know, what are you what are you doing on your brisket? And I'll just tell them. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not out there uh, 30 weekends a year trying to to win every single competition. I'm just out there uh, having fun and hoping to spread some uh, barbecue knowledge uh, to anyone that wants to <laughs> wants to listen to me. And lots of people do. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much, Tony, for coming on. It's been awesome. Um, for anyone who doesn't already follow you, do you just want to tell everyone like where they can find you on the web and social media? Yep, absolutely. Um, so on all social, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's just uh, Historic Barbecue, uh, Historic BBQ. Um, our website's historicbbq.com. Um, feel free to message me on any of those, uh, me personally or the, the Facebook page. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Tony Bunce. Um, if you have any questions or anything, don't hesitate to uh, reach out and I'll help you out the best I can. There's an offer, guys. Get involved. Send them all your questions. Don't ask us anything anymore. Just send them all over. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be happy to help. I, I can't uh, promise I'll always have the right answer, but I'll, I'll certainly uh, give it my best shot. Well, your rubs and sauce has definitely made Ben's barbecue better, so thanks for that. <laughs> anything I can do to help, man. Anything I can do. <laughs> Just need to send some to Dan in Malaysia now, and then he can get, <laughs> get himself sorted. <laughs> I don't think I've got anyone uh, in Malaysia carrying it yet, but uh, if if there's anyone who wants to, I'll I'll figure out a way to get it there. <laughs> I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, Tony. Cheers. Yeah, yep, thanks, thanks for Tony. having me. I really enjoyed it. Bye. Thanks. Bye. You're listening to United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe, and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. Barbecue Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades, and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out kamadojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. Whether it's smoking wood chunks, dust, chips, or planks... You can find them at smokewoodshack.com and you can find them on Twitter at smokewoodshack.